Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio, and we are going to try this again. We uh, we gave this a shot last night. We got a little bit into the episode, um, and we dropped off of uh, off of our feed, and we are limited to one show per day, um, or we can only do one show in any given day. So uh, once that show dropped, I wasn't able to start a new one. To get something churned out, so hopefully everything works out tonight. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the loss to the Dolphins in Week Two. We're gonna talk about tomorrow night's game against the Browns. Hopefully, have a couple of guests slated to join us: um, Christian Dyer uh, from Metro New York, as well as Aaron Walling. Um, Aaron's not a guy that many of you will have heard of. He is a he is a CBS Sports broadcaster out of I, I want to say. Fairbanks? Somewhere in Alaska. And you're like, you must be thinking, how in the world, why in the world are we having a guy on out of Alaska? Right? Well, Aaron uh, is a very knowledgeable sports guy who I actually met several years ago uh, serving in the military with his dad. And uh, Aaron is uh, chasing his dream of becoming a a, a big-time sports broadcaster, went to journalism school, meet, uh and got himself a job with CBS Sports right out of school and um, was living in Alaska at the time. So that's where he's at at the moment. But the reason we're having Aaron is because he is a diehard Browns fan. Um, And honestly, one thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years, and this isn't to say, um, you know, the the national guys don't don't do a good job of covering these teams. But a lot of a lot of times we're finding that the local folks who have a a vested interest in these teams does a better job of covering them or at least knowing the, the some of the ins and outs than a lot of the, the, the bigger name guys. Um, and again, that's not, it's not, not to say no one's doing a good job of it, but I mean, my goodness, how many times this off season did, uh, did I have to see somebody say that the Jets didn't have any offensive weapons? And despite the way they played this Sunday against the, the Dolphins, I think we all know that this team has some, some players who can, who can get the job done with the ball in their hands. So um, anyway, moving on from that, moving right into uh, this week's loss to the Dolphins. It was a 2012 loss. It was a tough loss to swallow. A lot of uh, Jets did a lot of things to themselves, didn't do themselves a lot of favors. A lot of just silly, stupid penalties that cost them points. Turnovers cost them points. Drops cost them points. Mental mistakes cost them points whether it was points they gave up or points they didn't score because of those mistakes. We'll talk a little bit about that and some of the factors, some of the reasons why this uh, th- this week two game ended up leaving them at one and one instead of two and oh. Frustrating game for Jets fans, you know, crashing back down to earth, as they say, after that huge 48-17 win in the opener. You go, you go into your home opener against Miami, emotions are high. Fans are just pumped up. They want to get, you know, have something to cheer about. And uh, the Jets 
and the Jets offense and the the an early turnover from Sam Darnold gave the Dolphins an early lead and, and the Dolphins just piled on in the first half, took the crowd out of it. The crowd was dead. For I mean for a home opener, you're one and oh against a division rival with a brand new shiny franchise quarterback under center and that play sounded dead, at least to me. Um I noticed several times throughout the game that that the crowd was 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 about it was far quieter. I mean that that sounded like a week fifteen or sixteen meaningless game um, by the time the second half got rolling. So as we know, um, again, twenty twelve loss. One of the biggest factors was just the Dolphins just seemed to consistently pin the Jets deep in their own territory, and the Jets were starting drive after drive after drive just deep in their own territory. So you pair that with the fact that the run blocking was was not good at all. And the pass blocking wasn't anywhere nearly as good, anywhere near as good as it had been in week one against the Lions. And this, you know, and I, I had a few people come at me at Twitter, on Twitter, and I get it, you know, people want to re- rehash conversations from earlier this offseason and everybody wants to be right. And I get it. I don't take it personally. But um, a lot of Jets fans were, were, were kind of commenting to me that, you know, because I was somebody who said that this offensive line would be, you know, an average offensive line or sort of middle of the pack, I think is the term I, I continue to uh, to use throughout the offseason and the preseason. But, folks, this is what you get with with a middle-of-the-pack offensive line. You know, if, if I come out and say this, this, this is going to be – seems going to be about average – somewhere in the middle, you know, 32 teams. You know, when I say middle of the pack, I'm thinking you got the 10 teams at the top, you got the 10 teams at the bottom, and everyone else is just kind of lumped in the middle. So whether it's, you know, whether you're ranked 11th, 12th, 13th, or 19th, or 20th, that that's that middle of the pack group. And when you have that type of offensive line, which is what the Jets have, you're going to have some good games, and you're going to have some bad games. And that's just the way it goes. You're not going to dominate. You're gonna have a you're not gonna have a five or six or seven game stretch where you just run the ball up and down the field because they're not good enough for that. And this is what we've seen now. One game against Detroit, they were excellent. Game two against Miami, terrible. I would expect some more of the same this week against Cleveland. Cleveland has some guys who can get after the quarterback. So we'll see how that pans out. But uh I'm not, you know, based on some bad performances. I'm not going to back off of my comments that this is an offensive line that's good. Again, not great. And you know, you look at, you know, this is this is a lot a lot of the one of the major reasons. Well, the two biggest reasons I you know I've I've stood by this O line is one the number of people that I've heard say this is a you know this this O line is the worst in the league or bottom three or bottom five. They're not. And when, when you say that an O-line is bottom five, that's not saying they're great. They have, they have good players on the O-line. Kelvin Beachman was bad this week. There's no getting around that. He struggled. He was really bad. James Carpenter, who we have discussed ad nauseum this offseason, was the biggest question mark coming in, and he was the worst offensive lineman on the field. He was really bad on Sunday. Kelvin Beachman struggled. Spencer Long was solid. Brian Winters was solid. Brandon Shell was solid. Yeah, they get listen. 
The Dolphin Cameron Wake is still a Dolphin, folks. Cameron Wake, no player in the NFL has more sacks than Cameron Wake from the day he came in the league. He's going to get, even if he doesn't get his sacks, Cameron Wake's going to pick up four or five pressures. That's just the way it goes. He's going to hurry you. He's going to hit you. He's going to rush you. That's the way it goes. On the other side, you got Robert Quinn, who's having a, you know, he's a guy who's a dominant pass rusher a few years ago. The Dolphins traded for him, hoping that he would, it would kind of rejuvenate him a little. And it looks like it has. He had a couple sacks. He, he, he took Kelvin Beecham's lunch money. So there's going to be days like that. So I'm, I'm happy to argue, debate, back and forth, whatever you want to do when it comes to this offensive line. But uh, at no point did I say that this team was going to be flawless or this offensive line was going to be flawless and they were going to come out and dominate every week. I said they're middle of the pack group. They'll have good days. They'll have bad days. This was a bad day. And it could be, it could be that, you know, there's another, a couple more bad days coming. I mean, against this Jacksonville Jaguars defensive line or defensive front, that front seven, my goodness. There aren't many, let's be be honest, there aren't many offensive lines in the NFL that are going to be able to contain that group. And uh, that's who the Jets have in two weeks. But let's, we'll finish up, we'll talk some more about this Dolphins game. So what were the big factors? As I mentioned, field position. Absolutely, absolutely critical. The Jets, looking at, let's take a look at the Jets' drives, okay? Their first drive, Jets' first drive, they get the ball, 12-24 12-24 in the first quarter at their own four. They go five plays and out. Second possession, they get the ball at their own 10. That's the, pl- that's the drive that ends with a Darnold interception. Third possession, three and out punt on a drive that started at their own 25. Fourth possession, they start inside their own 20 again. They start at their own 17. They punt it away. Fifth possession. They started their own eight. That's three drives out of six. Out of five, rather. That start ten yards or, or less. Or from their own ten or less. You got a four, a ten, and an eight. In your first three, your first five drives. Then each of the next two drives. Start at their own 25. One ends in a punt. One in, ends the half. And, and I'll tell you what. I... I said it at the time when they were driving down the field, even before Chris Herndon failed to get in on that ball where he was tackled at the one-yard line. I said, if they don't get in, if they don't get some points here, they're not going to win this game. I just, I, just, yeah, I, I just felt like if they got a touchdown, they were going to win. If they didn't, I just, I just thought there was no way. And as it turns out, Chris Herndon catches the ball down the left sideline from Sam Darnold doesn't get out of bounds. Could have at least been in position for a field goal. He doesn't get out. That costs him a timeout. So Darnold hits Herndon again over the middle. Herndon gets stopped at the one, drops the ball, picks it up, gets stopped at the one. Jets don't have any timeouts. Time runs out. Jets didn't have any timeouts because Chris Herndon went out of bounds. So you go into the half down 20 to nothing. Not a good look. Then you come out, start the second half, Again, you get the ball at your own 25, but at least this time, this time you come away with some points, right? I mean, at, at some point, this team had a score. 
O'Donnell hits Bilal Powell over the middle for a 28-yard touchdown. And, man, Bilal Powell, I feel, I feel like when I started doing this show a couple of years ago, he was a guy that we talked about every week as a guy that, man, he's so underappreciated. Man, we really wish he'd get the ball more. He's love Bilal Powell. He just shuts his mouth, does his job, does it well, and finds a way. You get him involved in the offense, he finds a way to make things happen. And in the fourth quarter, they get a they get a 55-yard field goal from Jason Myers, who missed an extra point, which would have, you know, you can't be doing that type of stuff. Myers hit the 41-yarder later on. Just have a chance to tie the game. And what, I mean, Terrell Pryor. Okay, I've been high on Terrell Pryor from the day they got him. Not because I think he's, you know, not because I think he's Terrell Owens. Not because I think he's Megatron. But he's a guy whose physical attributes and his play on the field has been such that you would imagine where you can see the big playability. Terrell Pryor has big playability. I've seen a lot of fans this week, surprisingly. I mean, I know I know we like to be, you know, knee-jerk reaction, cut this guy, trade that guy. I see people saying I see people saying cut Terrell Pryor after week two. Week two. Two. Got eighty four yards. Yeah, he made a crucial mistake. I get it. But the guy can still make plays. He had a drop. In his defense, the ball looked to be deflected going through a Miami defender's hands. Could have been an interception. But, guys, folks, you don't cut players in the NFL after a bad game. If that was the case, you'd go through 200 players a year. Guys have bad days. The same thing you should be looking to let go of Terrell Pryor because he didn't finish his route. And again, it, yes, it, it ended up being a big play. And credit to Terrell Pryor for owning up to it after the game and saying, look, that's my fault. I got I to gotta catch that ball, Sam. And I'll tell you, th- this was one of, the, one of the, the things I was happiest to hear was Terrell Pryor say, I got to finish my route because, you know, Sam's not always looking at you when the ball's coming your way. Sometimes it just, he just gets it out and it comes at you. That, that alone is a breath of fresh air after what Jets fans have had to deal with over the years, you know, with Gino and Sanchez. And even, even when Fitz was, you know, had his good year, he stared down his receivers a lot. You don't see that. I heard that, and that, that probably made me happier than anything coming out of this game. It wasn't a surprise. We've seen it, you know, throughout the year from him from, or from uh, throughout training camp and, and week one with Darnold. He doesn't stare down at targets, but it just, it just was nice to hear a receiver say that. And again, good job by Terrell Pryor for, for taking up, you know, taking the blame, taking the hit, even though Donald had said earlier it was on him. But that's what you want. You want you want everybody stepping up and and and, and taking the blame when, when something goes wrong. You'd rather that than have guys pointing fingers. That's, you know, Terrell Pryor, by the way, um, eight targets, four catches, 84 yards, with a, with a long of 44 on a crossing route that, uh, that got them deep into Miami territory. Four catches for 84 yards in his second game and a new offense and a new quarterback, and people want to cut him. If we see some more of this out of him, we see more errors, becomes a consistent thing, a regular thing, then I'm fine with it. 
I get that. I get it. We're saying two games, and we want to cut this guy. That it's just, I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. A couple surprise stats, a couple things I looked up that I wanted to point out from this week's game that uh, didn't expect to see. First off, I know they put up a ton of points in week one. Everybody was flying high, understandably so. But I thought, and a lot of people thought, that Jermaine Curse returning would be, you know, would mean a lot of production for the offense or uh, additional production for the offense. Um, Jermaine Curse, he didn't play the full game. Of course, you know, he he was a little dinged up with the abdomen. But he did play 20 snaps. On 20 snaps, Jermaine Curse, one reception for minus one yards. And he was only targeted twice. So two targets for one reception, minus one yard. You, you got to get more of that out of Jermaine Curse. You know, Sam Darnold's doing a really nice job. But if I had to say, if, if there was one thing I could say about him right now that worries me a little bit too much, is the frequency with which he's throwing the ball to Quincy Nunwa. And I love Quincy. It, you listen to the show, you know I've, I've been a big Quincy guy from, from the time he was drafted out of Nebraska. He was one of the first players I interviewed writing for JetNation.com and absolutely loved it, um, having the opportunity to speak with him. Loved his demeanor, loved the way he goes about his business, loved how he's an under-the-radar guy. But you can't be throwing 45 55% of your passes to one guy, especially in an offense where you have other options, where you have a Jermaine Curse. And you see what he did last year. You got to spread it around a little bit more. So Anun was 11 targets, more than any other receiver on the team. But he finishes with seven seven catches, 92 yards. Had himself a nice day. And then Herndon, who we mentioned earlier, had a couple of catches. But man, did he have a big drop. Just for driving late in the game. Third down and third down and long. Sam Donald rolls out to his left. Throws a beautiful ball down the left sideline in between two defenders. Right into Chris Herndon's hand, he drops it. Probably would have been a 35-yard pickup. That was brutal. That was one of the biggest plays of the game. The Herndon drop prior not getting in front of the, in front of the corner to, to catch a touchdown. The Darnold interception, the first Darnold interception. Absolutely critical. And the, the, the no call on the pass interference on Robbie Anderson. I mean, come on. Down the right sideline, late in the game, Donald Lofts went up. Miami's DB has his right arm around Robbie Anderson's waist. Robbie Anderson leaps up, turns. He's facing Donald, trying to high point the ball. The DB has his back to Donald, doesn't see the ball, wraps one arm around Robbie Anderson's waist, puts another hand up in the air. The ball falls incomplete, no flag. I honestly, I'm not even. I'm not even joking when I say this. This isn't hyperbole. I'm not being facetious. A couple of years ago, I actually asked some friends. I said, "Did the NFL? Did they do away with face guarding? Because I remember that used to be a rule, but they never call it anymore. Um, and as it turns out, it's just with the Jets, they don't call it anymore. Um, <laughs> they they said, "No, no, it's still a rule." Uh, you know, watch some games where it gets called. It is still a thing in the NFL where you have to turn around. You have to make an effort to locate and defend the ball 
um, or, or, you know, try to deflect the ball from getting to a receiver. And I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw that called when the Jets were on offense. And maybe it's more recent than I remember. Maybe, maybe I just forget. But I feel like I see that every few weeks, a, a blatant, blatant face guarding call where there's no flag and it's just an incomplete pass and that's that. And, and I'm not saying you're blaming the refs. The Jets have to do what they have to do to win the game. It's on the Jets to make plays. It's not on the, you know, the officials are going to make mistakes just like the players make mistakes. But we see stuff like that down in the red zone, in the end zone, inside the five, um, where it's just blatant. You know, it's not ticky-tack. It's not questionable. It's not, you know, it's, I, try to, I try to look at all the, a lot of these flags and, and, and look at it as objectively as possible or some of the non-flags. But how that wasn't a flag is absolutely beyond me. I'd love to know where, what the mindset is or in what world that, that, is not a, that is not a pass interference call. But um, we're, jo- we're going to be joined today, as I said at the top of the show, Christian Geyer of Metro New York is going to call in. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, we have Christian on the line right now. Christian, are you there? I am there. Christian, thank you so much for calling in. And, man, it's been a few months now, hasn't it, Christian? Well, it's been not a few months. It's been a couple of weeks. It just feels like a few months. No, it, it 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 has been a while. It's largely my fault. I, I did I shot Christian a message while I was out at camp, and I, things were so busy and hectic that the show schedule went all crazy, and I didn't even know when I was going to be doing shows. But great to have you back on, Christian. Um, I think I messaged you. I, I did try out uh, Nana's in uh, Florham Park, which was absolutely fantastic. Made a couple of trips out there, so thank you Best for the recommendation. Best Jersey. Best slice in Jersey. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Um, but let's let, let's get into some jet stuff here now. We, a couple topics we can hit on, but one of the first things I wanted to talk about, I haven't touched on it yet. I was going to bring it up at some point. Um, and just as I said earlier, uh, that you know, saying that uh, the Jets need to, the, the number of people I'm seeing that say the Jets need to move on from Terrell Pryor after two weeks is absolutely absurd. But. Um, there are already some whispers, and at least in this case, it's, it's more than just two games. There are already some people saying that they're, they're very unhappy with the way that these first two games have gone. Well, especially, I'm sure everyone was fine after the Detroit game. But after this loss to Miami and with, with, with Cleveland on deck, there are a lot of people saying that if, if Todd Bowles' Jets become the first team to lose to the Cleveland Browns since Christmas Eve 2016, 16, not 17, 2016, a team that's won one game in the last, uh, what, millennium, it feels like, that if Todd Bowles allows his Jets to lose this game, then he needs to be on the hot seat. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Christian? And if not, wh- what will it take for Todd Bowles to be on the hot seat? Well, listen, at the, at the end of the day, I think Todd Bowles entered this season a little bit on the hot seat. I, I'm not going to say it's anything more than lukewarm, uh, but it certainly is a case of he doesn't have to make the playoffs, right? We all know that this is a team that's still in the second year of a rebuild. I think last year they showed a lot more upside than people uh, were expecting and perhaps giving Todd Bowles credit for. But, but here we are at the end of the day wondering if this team can take the next step and what exactly that looks like. And there's a lot of shades of gray when it comes to this team and, and determining exactly whether Bulls should return to, for 2019 or not. I mean, the quarterback play, you've got a rookie quarterback. You don't have Josh McCown. That probably already lowers the expectation level a win, maybe two. Uh, you've got a lot of other moving pieces going on board. 
And also you've got a lot of teams on their schedule that have improved. And I know people are talking and still making fun of Cleveland and the way that they found to not win a game in week one. This is an improved Browns team. It's a, it's a Browns team that a lot of people aren't talking about. And it's a Cleveland team that uh, enters the, the third week of the season, albeit it's a very small sample size, but third week of the season leading the NFL in uh, takeaways with eight. So I don't think this is a bad Cleveland team. It wouldn't surprise me if, on the road, the Jets don't come away with the win, but I think if they fall apart in this game, you can start to talk about Todd Bowles being on the hot seat, but right now, I really don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think it is a little too early, and, and I've, I, you know, I've said several times on the show, I, I'm not Todd Bowles' biggest fan, but, but I, I do want to try to be fair and objective, and, you know, and I do look at the fact and recognize the fact that, that you know, there are many, many NFL head coaches who, who got fired at their first job and went on to be great coaches. And it's not, you know, it's not Madden. You don't just log on, draft some players, and win every Super Bowl. Um, it, it, it's not an easy thing to win in the NFL. And you look at guys like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, and as a Jets fan, you don't want to see that happen with your guy. But I think Todd Bowles uh, has done some things that have, he's kind of drawn the ire of a lot of Jets fans in a way that they're just kind of waiting for that first moment to say he should be fired. Um, I'm not, I'm not ready to say that just yet, but uh, you know, I, I got into it with someone earlier who, you know, felt like he should. And I just, I feel like I, I agree with the importance of continuity, but you don't keep someone for the sake of continuity. You keep someone because you believe they can win. But well, I agree. And, I think there, and, there, and there has to be a direction, right? You have to feel like that they're building. There's a sense of purpose. And, and I, and I think if I can cut you off and I'm, I'm sorry, Glenn, for cutting no, you off, ahead. but. You, you, you look at Jason Garrett, and he's been with the Cowboys what forty years now. <laughs> like I'm, yeah, I remember watching Jason like Garrett. I remember watching Jason Garrett as a backup quarterback on Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving uh, Day, yep. Yeah, leading the Cowboys, stepping in for Troy Aikman, and uh, I remember you know, that the, game. The, the reason why the Cowboys are able to put up with, as an organization, and, and that's a high-level organization, when you talk about expectations and demand, uh, it certainly rivals what you see in New York, if not a little bit higher, just given the history of, of quote-unquote, America's team. But there's a sense of direction that even when this team's 8-8 eight and eight or goes to a playoff loss or this or that or whatever, that they're building, that they're trying to do something, that they have an identity. And, and I think the Jets... Uh, and I'm sure we'll probably touch on the defense in a few moments, but the Jets seem to have a little bit of a sense of an identity now. They're going to be a young quarterback team. They're a team that uh, is willing to take some lumps over the past two years to develop the likes of a Jamal Adams and a Marcus May and Lee and Leonard Williams and, and a lot of those guys on the defensive side of the ball. And then they're going to supplement that offensively an awful lot like the Jets' formula uh, in 2007 and 2008 was, was to go out there and get the free agents and upgrade the offensive line with, with the likes of a Fanica and a, and a Brandon Moore and, and those types and, and add, a, add a key piece via a trade or free agency, whether it was it's Antonio Holmes or, uh, uh, you know, Plaxico Burris or whoever it was to try to be able to get this team over the top. And I think you got to give Todd Bowles credit for that. Now, he, he's not the rah rah boom guy like a Rex was, and that's probably a good thing for this organization. He's certainly not as liked by the media. He's not as quotable. Uh, he may not be quite as uh, enjoyable in the press conferences or with a little video cutaways on nyjets.com, but here he is, somebody who's trying to build this team in a certain identity on the defensive side of the ball. Discipline, I think they've done a better job this year 
overall uh, in that regard. So, you know, this may be a Jets team that Friday morning wakes up one and two or two and one. And uh, if it's one and two, it's going to be doom and gloom and Todd Bowles should go. And if it's two and one, uh, you know, oh, they just beat the Browns. That's it. And Todd Bowles should still go. So I I think we're going to probably be measuring Bowles right around that uh, bye week that they have before that New England game. And we'll get a sense of whether this team not just wins and losses, but are they playing the right way? Have they cut back on mistakes? If they had a veteran quarterback starting under center, uh, a Josh McCown or Teddy Bridgewater level, uh, could this be a team that'd be in the playoffs? But okay, we're willing to take our lumps with a rookie to get them ready for that big free agency bonanza next year. I, I, I think it's way too soon, uh, barring anything catastrophic, barring an absolute blowout or an embarrassment in Cleveland, to even think about moving Todd Bowles at this point. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the big things is going to be whether or not Todd Bowles as a, 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 a guy who was brought in as a defensive genius, if his defense plays consistently well all season, because let's face it, they haven't been bad. Um, you know, the third and 19 was an absolute dagger. Um, did, you know, stomach churning stuff where, you know, you needed that stop and you think, all right, here's our, here's our defense in a big spot, defensive genius head coach, third and 19, and they and they find a way to give it up, and, and basically that was the nail on the coffin. But by and large, when you look at what this team did in the preseason, what they did in week one, week two, a lot of the points they gave up were on short field, short drives, whether it was the pick six against Detroit or the, the short drive Miami had to start this game. The defense has actually been pretty good. Um, you know, has it been perfect? No. But I think that Todd Bowles has done well enough through a couple games um, to that I think it's silly to talk about that this early. But um, – Speaking about I'll, guys, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, Glenn, if oh, I can just ahead. cut in with just one more thought, of but course. you know, I, I don't think that if anyone was being realistic and you just looked purely at rosters, you didn't know which team was which, you just saw kind of a Madden level rating between the two teams and you took into account a salary cap. I think almost any general manager in the NFL would look and want the situation that the Jets are in over what the Giants are in right now. And you're oh, talking God, about yeah. identity. You're talking, uh, talking about just a building perspective. You're talking about moving forward. You know, the Giants may go into 2019 uh, without a quarterback since Eli mm-hmm. has owed basically $0 on the cap and probably needing to replace two, if not three pieces along the offensive line. And they may not have enough money, depending on what his demands are, to keep Landon Collins long-term. And you can make the argument that Landon Collins is the best player on this Giants team, maybe not the most important, but the best player in an elite-level safety in the NFL. So here, here you go with the Jets team with a good amount of the core under contract, or you've got the cap flexibility to be able to keep them long-term. You've got your quarterback for the next decade, should everything pan out. And we've seen flashes of Sam Darnold. It would lead you to believe that he has the goods to be able to be a starting quarterback in this league and be just more than effective. Uh, so you look at all these things and you say, well, Bowles is dealing with this situation. Bowles is, is rebuilding. He showed that first year outside of that week 17 game that he can get the team to play a, a winning style and a winning brand and to believe in themselves and that his style and temperament uh, can get a team to be 10 and six and playing meaningful football in December. Last year, how many games did the Jets lose by, by eight points or fewer? It was well over half of their losses were, were, were tight games, tight contests. 
games that went down to the final possession, games that if Josh McCown was on the field, I think there's a pretty decent chance the Jets would win. So I'm not going to read too much into a Thursday night win or loss. Uh, I think Cleveland's going to be a more difficult team than people thought this time a month ago. But at the end of the day, it's about direction. And I think Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan have this team in a direction and an identity uh, that's difficult to argue against. Yeah, and I, I think a good number of people understand, at least, you know, looking at the kind of getting the pulse of the fans on the uh, on the forums on Jet Nation, that a lot of people understand this. Why aren't understand those people on a, Twitter? Why aren't yeah, those they, people they, on Twitter? <laughs> it seems like everybody on Twitter wants wants to fire these guys, and yet, like I said, if you're talking about a team and you're comparing the Giants' future and the Jets' future, uh, I think you look and you say you'd rather be building what the Jets have right now, and. I know Jets fans would love to have Odell Beckham Jr., would love to have Landon Collins, right? There are these different names and different pieces, but at the end of the day, there's flexibility and there's a certain amount of purpose, and I hope fans really do understand that. It may not work out, but at least the Jets are going about it the right way. I I absolutely agree. I think that when you look at what the Giants have versus what the Jets have, the Jets are definitely a better spot. But uh, I know you're limited on time tonight, Christian. Just before you go, I'm going to throw two names at you, a couple guys, one guy playing really well, the other guy not so much. What you think of these guys and what you do if you're the Jets. Darren Lee at uh, inside linebacker is doing a really nice job early on. And a guy who's really struggling is someone I mentioned earlier. We thought he might struggle this year. Uh, left guard James Carpenter gave up six pressures last week. And let's face it, based on the way he played last year and this most recent game, um, there's there's really not much reason to believe he'll get better as the season goes on. Um, not impossible, but highly unlikely. Your thoughts on those two players? Yeah, I, I think Carpenter is somebody who uh, we're all surprised maybe was here at this point, but just for lack of better options, the Jets decided that maybe it was better to go with a bit more of an established veteran uh, there, especially if you're dealing with a rookie quarterback or a quarterback in Josh McCown who had season-ending injury midway through the year, Teddy Bridgewater, who has had pretty much season-ending injuries two of the past three years, or a rookie quarterback um, who, whose you know, confidence could really be shattered. I understand the idea of bringing back a veteran, but this is a guy who in his zone blocking system, uh, he's not a good fit. He wasn't a good fit last year. He's certainly not a good fit this year. It seems like he's struggling. And it's, it's funny, Glenn, and, and, you know, maybe you have a different vantage point, but this is a guy who was so wildly athletic coming out of college, right? You know, he blew up on his individual workouts. A lot of people thought that he was going to be a day two pick, an early day two pick, but it was really his workouts and everything that kind of solidified him as being a late first round pick Uh, for someone who's so wildly athletic who moves as well as he does first and foremost it looks to me like he's carrying some bad weight and you know I don't know what weight he's supposed to be at what the Jets want him at but it looks like he's carrying some bad weight in he just doesn't seem as athletic as, as you have as we've seen him in the past in his career in particular, his first year with the Jets when I thought, you know, was probably the best of his time uh, here. Um, you know, he, he just seems like when he's pulling, he's not getting down the field effectively. When he's kind of in these individual assignments and locked up, um, 
he just doesn't seem to necessarily have, I don't know if it's the willpower, the strength, uh, the technique, whatever it is, to be, to be able to shed the guy in and, and move on, and especially in the, in the run protection, um, helping to get up into that second level for some of the ground game. And that's why the ground game uh, has sputtered a little bit, I think, in large part due to him. So, uh, yeah, he's been a disappointment. But on the flip side, Darren Lee, I think you're now in the third year, um, one of one of the best, I, according to Pro Football Focus this past week, one of the best coverage jobs done by any linebacker in the league. And we knew that he had good speed. We knew that he brought that uh, component from the college game. But I mean, this guy is bulked up. He's done the right things in the off season. I think he that uh, you know he took between year one and year two. He made some gains, but he's clearly developed better. I think. And what's been impressive was there was a couple times his past game he didn't necessarily make the tackle, but he would shed his blocker a lot easier than we saw last year and be able to get in, get involved, force the guy outside, bump him inside, whatever his assignment was there uh, in terms of clogging up the lane. Uh, I, I think he did a much better job of that. I thought his ground support um, in terms of his tackling was very good in week one. I thought it was. I thought he was okay last week, uh, this past weekend. But to me, he's someone who's playing stronger. He's playing faster. Uh, he's moving around a lot better uh, because he has the confidence that now he has the strength and the ability to match the speed. So, uh, to me, that's been a pleasant surprise. I, I kind of thought that if he had a whole hum year, it, it would be okay. That was kind of the expectation level coming in. But uh, again, limited sample size. But but Darren Lee looks like somebody who uh, is. is really going to become a part, an interesting and vital part of the linebacker picture, and maybe not four or five years and out like I thought. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think that this, I mean, everybody knew this was a big year coming in. I've been, I've been critical of Darren Lee. Uh, I'm not going to, not going to shy away from that. I, I've also said many times that I think that he's a guy who did need a little time, as you know, um, you know, made a conversional linebacker in college. So he was going to be a multi-year project. And I was fine with that, and I think a lot of people were, but it was the fact that he didn't show nearly as much improvement from year one to two as people had hoped. But now, at least in the early going, as you said, small sample size, from year two to year three, he's looked like a much better player, which is obviously a great time for the Jets because with a guy with that athleticism in the middle of the defense, uh, it's, it's a big boost in, in helping this team win some football games. So and um, speed too. Look at his sideline to sideline and what he's doing. And, and keep in mind, Demario Davis. I remember his second year in the league. What was it? Week two, week three at home against Philadelphia and the wheel routes. He got burned twice yeah, on wheel yeah. routes. Uh, that I, one of which I believe went the distance, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know. And, and then Demario Davis comes back to the Jets last year, and he's one of the best coverage inside linebackers in the league. It takes time for these guys to figure that out. It's easier to get the run portion down. It's easier to get the collapse of pockets, easier to understand your assignments. But to, to do that, to be able to understand coverage, to be able to read, adapt things quickly from that position, uh, it, it can be a real challenge. So I think anyone who thought that Darren Lee was going to be washed up, was going to be out of the Jets, uh, that he had no no responsibility putting on the green and white ever again, um, you know, I, I hope that they're eating just a little bit of crow right now because it does take time, like you said. And look to DeMario Davis last year and, and what DeMario is doing with New Orleans this year. Um, 
you know, <laughs> the gains that you can make in terms of being covered sideline to sideline, that ability, that footwork, it takes time. And I think Demario Davis, to his credit, uh, and to the credit of his bank account as well, really made some good adjustments over the past two years. And I think we're seeing Darren Lee a little bit earlier in his career now, certainly with more physical blessings than Demario Davis, uh, make, being willing to make those adjustments mentally and physically. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, his development has been a pleasant surprise, and it's, again, uh, a big part of what this team is hoping to do moving forward. And, it, and it's a big thing because, listen, you, you hate to see teams, GM take so much heat when they miss on these first-rounders that uh, up until this point for Mike McCagney, Darren Lee was kind of viewed as the, the closest thing to a first-round bust that they had, and now it looks like he's, uh, he's turning the corner a little bit. I don't want to get too excited because if you remember, if you think back to last year, he did have a nice three or four game stretch where it looked like the light came on and then he kind of faded away again. But a nice strong start to the season for him. Christian Dyer. Christian covers the Jets and Giants for Metro New York. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Christian. Yeah, a nice strong start to the season for you too, Glenn. All right. Thanks a lot, Christian. We'll uh, hopefully have you again next week. Take care. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was Christian Dyer of Metro New York. Christian joins us regularly. Um, just uh, man, I, I, he said a few weeks. I really think it's been a couple months. I don't think we've had Christian since uh, before training camp. And like I said, uh, as much fun as it was to go out to camp, I loved it. Look forward to doing it again next year. But man, camp, vacation, all that stuff put the show in a bit of a tailspin. My apologies for that. Hopefully, from tonight onward, we're uh, we're back on a normal schedule. And Blog Talk looks to be holding up tonight. I'm um, looking at my dashboard here, and it's telling me we're still good. We're still on the air. That was not the case last night. We had some errors, and hopefully Aaron Walling will be uh, will be calling us in a little bit to uh, to preview the Browns. Aaron Walling of CBS Sports. Uh, hopefully, like I said, hopefully he can join us. But uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this game. This, uh, you know, we t- we touched on the Miami game. It's a short week, so not as much time to analyze it. I honestly, I didn't watch the full all twenty-two. I watched as much as I could. Um, things I came away from that thinking were, uh, as we discussed with Christian, poor, poor game for uh, for James Carpenter. And I said it before, and I don't know why. You know, I don't know why I always feel uh, I feel I should preface this stuff. I think it's because there are so many fans that are, uh, you know, when when they kind of when a player goes south, a lot of fans, you know, whether it's a fan, a reporter, blogger, whatever, they get really callous toward these guys and like they make it a personal thing. And uh, for me personally, that's you don't stoop to that. I don't I don't dislike James Carpenter. I don't hate the guy. I don't want bad things to happen to him. I don't think he's terrible. I think he's a good football player and a great person. And again, that that's from what I've what I've you know what little bit I've been able to uh, talk to some some folks that work with the Jets about him when he was brought on board. Um, I just think he's a guy who's in the wrong system, and I I don't think he's a fit here. And I think the Jets need to find a way to move on. I, it, in a perfect world, they'd find a way to move on from him, uh, you know, this season at some point, regardless of the money, because he's just not getting it done. But as we've seen in years past with the Jets, uh, they will sometimes stick with guys, uh, whether it's out of loyalty or you can say lack of options. But really, James Carpenter, uh, from my understanding, uh, was the lowest rated guard in the NFL this year per PFF. I would imagine that the Jets could find someone else to be the lowest rated guard in the NFL um, at left guard, whether it's Dakota Dozier or Ben Braden or someone along those lines. It would just be nice to see them find somebody to step in and, and do a nice job. But a uh, couple notes that I was passing along. I mentioned the uh, 
Jermaine Curse having only one catch for minus one yards. Uh, a couple other things that jumped out at me from this game in terms of stats and snaps and snap counts and things like that. Uh, Jeremiah Adochu, who had played only 10 snaps in week one, only eight of them were as a pass rusher, uh, but he came up with a couple of pressures. And again, this is a team that has struggled to get pressure on the quarterback. So I thought, all right, strong showing for Adochu on limited reps. Maybe we'll see some increased reps in week two. And number of reps for Adochu in week two, zero. He was active. I saw where, I was a little surprised, Rich Smeedy of ESPN New York listed Adochu as uh, it predicted that he would be one of the inactives, which even that kind of made me raise an eyebrow and say, wait a minute, you're going to make this guy inactive uh, when in week one he probably showed more, more pass rush ability than anybody else on the roster. So I didn't expect him to be inactive, but he may as well have been inactive because he didn't get on the field and play any defense at all. So surprising move there. Hopefully we see some increased reps from him. And then, of course, the uh, the third number I wanted to pass along because I thought it was pretty impressive and a, a good sign moving forward. As bad as the Jets' offensive line looked, as much as Sam Donald was pressured consistently throughout the day, starting center Spencer Long, the man who replaced Wesley Johnson, uh, was only only had one quarterback pressure to his name in that game. Um, again, James Carpenter had seven, I believe. So a nice job by Spencer Long. And that's actually the only pressure he has allowed this season. So in 71 pass block snaps, Spencer Long has allowed one pressure. So if that guy can stay healthy, um, he, he has struggled as a run blocker. Don't get me wrong. But as we said a few times before the season started, this team is going to do a better job of blocking pass blocking than they are blocking in the run game. You hope that this offseason, some of the upgrades, they'll add some guys who can do a little bit of both. Whether or not they do remains to be seen. But at the moment, Spencer Long doing a nice job in the middle. James Carpenter, Kelvin Beecham struggled a bit on the left side. Brandon Shell, Brandon Shell had a nice game. Again, I didn't watch the entire All-22. But I did watch most of it. Brandon Shell looking solid against the run and the pass. Looks, again, it's very early. But his work in the run game looks to be improved over his first two years. So that's a, uh, that's a nice little development. You hope a young guy like that keeps, keeps developing. And then, of course, Brian Winters, um, he allowed a couple of pressures as well. But all in all, the majority the majority of the bad work came from the left side. Carpenter and Beecham had a really good, really hard time with uh, with Shell. Shell and Winters doing a nice job on the right side or a decent job on the right side. But as I said earlier, we're going to be joined today by Aaron Walling of CBS Sports. Aaron's going to be calling in from Alaska, and I believe he is on the line right now. So we're going to go to the phones and uh, and check in on him. Aaron, are you with us? Yes, I am. I'm right here, right in Fairbanks, Alaska. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, long time no speak, long time no see. It's been, uh, what, I don't know, eight, nine years. But uh, as I said at the top of the show, Aaron's a, a, a young sports journalist working at CBS, hopes to work at ESPN one day. And we wish him all the luck in that uh, that that goal. And a diehard Cleveland Browns fan for, uh, for from the first time I met him long, long ago. So, Aaron, how do you feel going into this game against uh, my New York Jets 
and the Cleveland Browns seeking their first victory since Christmas Eve of 16, having just narrowly, narrowly missed beating a couple of future Hall of Fame quarterbacks in Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees. What are you thinking going into this game? Well, looking into it, I mean, like you said, it's future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees, some of the best names that the game will ever hear about. You know, and, and I think Sam Darnold, they're going to be facing against a quarterback that I feel is a future uh, of the Jets. I feel like he's got a lot of great intangibles. But I think it's going to be the defense that is going to help the Cleveland Browns get the victory. You know, when you look at it, eight takeaways already in the young season. I mean, you can't keep up that production. They had six against the Steelers. It's impossible to keep that up. But I right. tell you the name that I feel like is going to terrorize Darnold is going to be Larry Okunjobi. There's going to be a lot of pressure to keep Miles Garrett off of him. Ogunjobi had two sacks against the Saints, and I feel like that could be a difference. Now, is um, I know Miles Garrett is healthy for the. Is, is Ogunjobi is he active for this game? I thought I saw his name on the injury report. Or am I thinking of Emmanuel uh, Ogba? You're you're thinking Ogba, Ogba the other defensive end. Okay, yeah, they're both edge guys. Or no, uh, Ogunjobi's an inside guy. Ogba's an outside guy. I was, I was uh, slipped my mind for a second. I was looking at the injury report earlier, but yeah, he is. Um, he's he's having he's off to a really nice start. Ogunjobi, he's uh, he's got well, he's got three sacks through a couple games, and Miles Garrett is another guy. I mean, you team those two guys up, and uh, you know, as I was saying a little while ago, that uh, Kelvin Beecham really struggled for the Jets this week. Brandon Shell looked better on the right side, but at left tackle, Kelvin Beecham had a really hard time. And I think that uh, you know, if if the Browns, I think I think they'll move both guys around as they should. They're both they're both so talented. You don't want defense. You don't want offenses to know exactly where they're going to be on every snap. But I I do agree that Sam Donald is going to be under a lot of duress as he was last week. Uh, I don't know, you know, how well that the, the Browns secondary is going to hold up. I know they've had some uh, some really nice performances early on from uh, Denzel Ward. The, their first round draft pick out of Ohio State, who's looked really good, and uh, some I mean, there's some good players, and that you know, as Christian Dyer was saying, we had him on a little bit ago, talking about this Browns defense. I, I agree. I think this is a really stellar unit, and I think as a Jets fan, actually, I'll, I'll ask for for, for your uh, your opinion on this. What do you think when you see how how much the Jets struggled against the Dolphins last week? Every time Ryan Tannehill took off and ran. Um, is this something that the, the, the Browns are going to look to exploit with uh, with Tyrod Taylor under center? See, in week one against the Steelers, our offense was what you could say was inept at times, and Tyrod Taylor had to take off, and he was leaving the game and rushing. But Yeah, that weather, too. That, that was see, a brutal weather game. The quarterbacks had no oh, chance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, neither quarterback had a, had a great game. And, but when I look at Tyrod Taylor – they want him to, to run the football. I mean, he, but there's times where he'll hold on to that football a little bit too long and the pocket collapses around him. So I'm thinking, you know, the Jets may have a quarterback spy sit up there in the middle. I mean, I'm looking at your guys' depth chart, and I, I could definitely see, you know, players like Jordan Jenkins and, and Darren Lee just trying to keep him from, you know, taking off down the middle. Yeah, I think that's where – that's going to be a big, uh, big responsibility. Probably, I, I would say, more likely for Darren Lee this week. And the Jets, you know, one of the big things that they're going to have to keep in mind anytime you play a quarterback like this, like you know, a guy like Tyrod Taylor, 
is that is that gap discipline and don't you know don't get too deep on your rushes and don't you know stick with your assignment so you don't give him any holes because he's a guy who will take off and run on you and I would expect you know Hugh Jackson if he if he's watching that that film he's got to have at least a couple uh, designed quarterback runs in there and you at least try a couple to see if it works and you go from there but the Jets really didn't do a good job of defending Tannehill but. The, the Browns also, uh, one guy that really worries me, um, and it's really a lot of it's going to depend on what, how they move him around um, because it's, you know, sometimes you see him in the slot, sometimes he's on the boundary, but Jarvis Landry. And, it, you know, if I see him in the slot matched up with Buster Screen and I'm and I'm Tyrod Taylor, I'm going to Jarvis Landry every time. Um, he's a guy who's probably going to have a really big year. You know, for Jets fans, I look at Landry and he kind of reminds me of a, another version of Quincy Inunua. Maybe not the same build, but man, he'll mix it up. He'll stick his face in the fan. He'll make the tough catches. Really versatile guy who will do anything. And uh, that matchup against Buster Screen worries me. Um, so g- give us your thoughts on Jarvis Landry and any other – who else you think on that offense that Jets need to keep an eye on? Uh, well, if the Jets need to look for someone. I mean, you you said it, Landry – not the biggest explosive speed. I mean, he ran about a 4.7 in, in the NFL combine, so he wasn't high on anyone's draft choice. But the man can get into the zone. He actually has great hands. You know, him and Odell Beckham Jr., they both came from the same program. But a player that I feel like that is primed to have a great game on the primetime network is going to be Antonio Callaway. Uh, the kid is – he's got some blistering speed. He had a lot of problems during training camp. A lot of people saw it during head, uh, uh, hard knocks. But I feel like the kid's primed for a great game. I mean, Josh Gordon is now gone, and Cleveland's going to game plan and have Callaway be a prominent piece in the offense. And you mentioned that was one thing I wanted to ask as long as we had you calling in. What, what are your thoughts on the Josh Gordon situation and how all that unfolded? Because I thought it was I, – I was surprised by it only because – I mean, I understand sometimes you get to the point, it's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. But for all of the things that Josh Gordon did, that the Browns stuck with him and stuck with him and stuck with him and stuck with him, and then they let him go for, you know, straining a hamstring at a photo shoot and being late to practice. Um, They put up with all the drug use and alcohol use. That that surprised me. It really, when I heard he was going to be traded, I was convinced he must have had another positive drug test. Turns out that wasn't the reason. How do you feel about that after them sticking with him for a couple of years and then letting him go after that? Well, I mean, the big name that you could that everyone should remember is that John Dorsey. Dorsey told a lot of these players. He told Callaway. He told Gordon, "You got you got one chance with me," because he never got to see them. I mean, he was the GM for the Chiefs last year, so he never got to experience what Josh Gordon was or what Antonio Callaway was until he met them. And with Josh Gordon, I mean, it's been six years of headaches guy onto the field. I mean, he lost, he lost two seasons. And when you look at the Cleveland Browns, how many, how many lost seasons have we had now since 2007? When's the last time we, we made the playoffs? It was 2002. I mean, this team is hungry for a win. The fans are hungry. I mean, even the, even Bud Light has put around victory fridges around Cleveland the, the time they win a game, it's going to go crazy in Cleveland. And I just feel like John Dorsey was saying, we've had enough of antics from you, Josh Gordon. I mean, you – yes, it, it, in hindsight, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a small straw. But 
when you compare it to the rest of the stuff, it's a lot. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I, it was clearly the straw that broke the camel's back. I guess just a bit of irony, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, different front offices in, indeed. But, man, when the guy did all the things wrong that he did, and then that's what he lets go for. But but, uh, but thanks a lot, Cleveland, for sending him to New England. So now the Jets get to face him twice a year. That's that's fantastic. That was uh, – <laughs> and, and, and as soon as it happened, I messaged some buddies. I said, this guy's going to New England. He's going to win a damn ring with the Patriots, and that's just the way it goes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he's got to keep his nose clean, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, one last guy I wanted to talk about before we let you go, Aaron, um, mm-hmm. because he's been surprisingly uh, uh, unproductive so far – and a guy who is going to be one of the key factors, I think, in this game uh, on Thursday night, second-year tight end David Njoku out of Miami, um, had a great game against the Jets last year, and I would expect him to have some uh, get some run against Jamal Adams again this week. Um, he's been really quiet. Uh, what, any any idea what's going on? Is he just are they just not focusing on the tight end all that much? Or is is it that he's struggling? Is it the system? What's going on there? So when you look at your your top quarterbacks that have been in the AFC North, a lot of them have had that tight end that they can throw to. Joe Flacco had Todd Heap. You know, you had Ben Roethlisberger finding Jesse James and Heath Miller. Tyrod Taylor never really had a top-notch tight end to throw to. I mean, when you look at him when he was with the Bills – who is this tight end? Charles Clay, formerly of the Miami Dolphins. That's not a name that strikes fear into you. So his offense is predicated on finding slot receivers, finding people that can find those zones. It's going to take some time. He's got to build some repertoire with, you know, Rappaport with Njoku. But I tell you this, when Baker Mayfield eventually takes over for the program, that's going to be a, a connection because Njoku has the abilities. I mean, the guy can jump out of the sky has great strength, great speed. It's just a matter of time and connecting with him. Yeah, I think Njoku, when you look at what he did in college and you look at when when the Browns did feature him last year, I think the guy's going to be an excellent playmaker. And it's going to be uh, – I think the Browns are going to be happy with that pick over time. So, before I let you go, Aaron, uh, we got to get a prediction from you. Jets, Jets, Browns, Thursday Night Football – um, is the uh, is the Bud Light going to be flowing through the streets of Cleveland, um, and they get their first win? What, what, what do you think happens here? I'm going to say a lot of people are going to call in work sick on a Friday morning because there's going to be a lot of booze flowing. I think it'll <laughs> like Cleveland's going to win 23-21. Greg Joseph, the new kicker, is going to hit a game winner. City of Cleveland's going to rejoice. You know, I I, I hate to say it, Aaron, um, and I'll get to it in a little bit, but I I, I agree. I think that the Browns are as hungry for a win as any NFL team has ever been. I think they have a lot more talent than they've had in the past. And the, I, the to me, the deal breaker for me is that the Jets road teams in these Thursday night games just do not do well. Um, I, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but the, uh, the, the home team on these Thursday night games, they win the, the vast majority of the time. So unfortunately for the Jets, I think they're heading to one and two. But, Aaron, I just want to say thanks so much for calling in all the way from Alaska. Um, good talking to you. Tell, uh, tell, your, uh, tell your family, your old man, and your brothers that I said hello, all right? Oh, I will. I will, Glenn. All right. Take care, Aaron. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. So that was Aaron Walling of CBS Sports calling from, uh, from Fairbanks. I, I, I think that's our first caller from Alaska. 
but uh, more of a guest than a caller. But uh, really good guy, uh, great family. Glad he was able to call in. So we got a few more minutes left here. We already talked a little bit about the. Uh, I I used that call to touch on some of the key guys that you know some of the guys that I thought would be huge factors in this game, and I think I think we're going to see Landry and Njoku featured quite heavily. I think when we see Tyrod Taylor as a guy who, you know, again, tries to expose this, this Jets defense that had a really hard time containing Ryan Tannehill last week. And unfortunately with, uh, with Miles Garrett, as we were saying just a minute ago with Miles Garrett coming off that edge, it's going to be, uh, it's, you know, and Ogan Joby on the inside, it's going to be a tough group to contain. If I'm the Browns, as much as I said I would move these guys around a lot, I'd have Ogan Joby lining up over James Carpenter and Miles Garrett over Kelvin Beecham all day long until the Jets show they can stop it. Because I don't know that they could. I think that's going to be a, that would make for a long day for the Jets and Sam Darnold. If I'm Jeremy Bates, I'm going to let Darnold know that he better be looking to audible. Anytime he sees those guys on the same side, audible to a, a rollout to the opposite direction. Because that's going to be that that's going to be make for a real tough day for him. So kind of along the lines with where with where Aaron was, uh, I hate to say it, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to predict the Browns' victory, and um, I I will yes I will do my normal thing where I anytime I predict the Jets' loss, I will then go put money on the Jets to win. But uh, I'm going to say 24-17 Cleveland. I think the Browns get their first win in forever, and, and look. That city deserves it, you know. As much as it, as, as much as we complain about being Jets fans, imagine imagine losing nineteen in a row, and what are they like one in thirty two or something, one in thirty three, over the last couple of years. That city deserves a win. And the great thing about being a Jets fan this year, win, lose, or draw, folks, doesn't matter. Um, just be happy we got a damn quarterback, and we can move forward and build around him. And uh, one side note there. Uh, one less piece to build around Sam Darnold, at least in terms of uh, Mike McCagney draft picks, as Ardarius Stewart will close the show with that. Um, Ardarius Stewart, the team had until 4 p.m. today to make a decision on him, to let somebody go to make room for him on the roster, or to place him on waivers. Ardarius Stewart was placed on waivers. So just one year with the team for both Ardarius Stewart and Chad Hansen, a colossal bust in early slash mid round picks from Mike McCagden with those two wide receivers. But the group they have in camp, the group they or I should say the group they have on the roster right now, pretty strong group, really like what they have there. So looking forward to Donald to continue to develop and grow with those guys. Thank you to all of you so much for joining us. Looking up again at the dashboard here, it looks like our stream is still live and working. So thank you to Blog Talk for not cutting the show off this evening. Thank you all for tuning in. And we will be back here again Tuesday night, hoping we don't get dropped. And uh, look forward to talking to you then and hopefully recapping a Jets win to, uh, to put them at 2-1 and one heading into their game against Jacksonville. Jaguars, as we discussed earlier, absolutely devastating defense. That will give the Jets, really, and anyone, not just the Jets. Anybody's going to have a hard time with that, with those guys. And uh, let's hope the Jets find a way to put up some points and make it interesting. Have a great night, guys.